Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Sarah here, one of the co-hosts of the Squiggly Careers podcast. We have a special episode for you this week, which is a squiggly career story that I recorded with David Pearl back in January. David is the founder of Street Wisdom and the author of a book called Wonderful. And it was a brilliant conversation and something a bit different. So David talks about getting inspiration from the streets and the world around us. So we went for a walk and you will hear the kind of sights and sounds of London in the background as I talk to David. And it was such a brilliant conversation with so many nuggets of inspiration and wisdom, both from listening to David telling his own personal story of his career so far, but also advice and kind of actions that we can all take for our kind of day-to-day work that we just wanted to have it as a kind of standalone extra episode. So I hope you really enjoy it. And I kick off with asking David three questions about his career so far. So here you go. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? A conductor. Okay. Okay. One word to describe your career so far. <laughs> um, unfolding. Ooh, I love that. Out of ten, how squiggly do you think your career has been? Pretty squiggly. I'm coming in with a seven, I think. Ooh. Pretty squ- seven, I actually seven thought to you eight. might go higher after, after yeah, my research. Yeah, pretty squiggly, yeah. One person who's really inspired you in your career. Charles Handy. Oh, oh, good. That's really good. Let's talk more about Charles. I thought you might go for Madeleine Albright. I've just written this book, and in it, she describes herself as an optimist who worries a lot. I know. I wrote that quote down. <laughs> I loved that. That's how I feel a little bit. I love life. It's great. And it's also scary. Yeah. Final one. Dream job. So you've got, you've got to work, so you can't just be lying on a beach all day, but you could spend your time doing any kind of work. What do you think you'd do? Well, as a kid, I wanted to be in Thunderbirds, uh, which this idea that you were you were part of a kind of this elite team of people in your different places around the world, and the phone would go, and you'd be called into action to do stuff. That's sort of the job I've got, I think. I've got these. You feel like you're a Thunderbird. I think I am a creative Thunderbird. I'd like to think so. You've not got the outfit on though today. I'm not on today. You're wearing orange, not not the grey kind of jumpsuit. The grey jumpsuit and the peak cap, the the little capo thing. So you said you wanted to start... When you were a kid, you were like, I want to be a conductor. Yeah. And when I was looking into all the different things you've done, of which there are lots to talk about, it sounds like you've had a very creative life. Describe to me, when you first started out working, what what were you spending your time doing then? Without sounding like a kind of lovey too much, um, (laughs) I started work when I was eight because I was basically plucked out of school and stuck on the, the, the stage at Covent Garden to sing. Ah. And that really does feel like when it began. It's when my kind of 
you know, I was, I was a paid singer. And also, you know how kids are, they feel grown up. What do you do with your money when you're eight? You buy loads of sweets? Well, there was that, <laughs> there was that. I actually, actually bought, because I, obviously I was a little nerd, I bought port. I remember my dad encouraged me, buy port, put it down. And we're still actually drinking port. the port. The port that I, I mean, I couldn't drink it as an eight-year-old, but I am enjoying it in later life. So that I did is some the most of that. grown-up thing I think I I've know, ever heard. I know. <laughs> well, like kids think, I think you look at kids, kids are, you've got kids, right? And yeah. Kids are pretty serious and pretty grown up, I think. They, they think they are the right age. Other people are, they know there are people older than them, but this is the right age, right? And I remember being eight thinking, this is, you know, I was working with famous opera stars and I felt like, no, I mean, obviously I knew they were older than me, but I was one of them, so like a peer. And so I think it sort of slightly warped my expectations of life because it was a little bit Cinderella-like. I would, yeah. um, this lasted for about five years. I'd be at okay. school during the day, the night I'd sing at the opera. Not every night, but lots of the nights. And I think it gave me an appetite for doing more than one thing, you know, yeah. and that's been a hallmark of my so-called career. And I think it was also, it woke up the performer in me. It also woke up, I loved rehearsal. Ah, I think so you loved, like the process as well yeah. as the kind of outcome. Almost more, if I'm honest. I, there's something still to this day really exciting to me about what goes on behind the scenes. When I'm working with businesses, I'm often talking to them about backstage. Where's the backstage of life in professional life? A lot of people don't have one. They're like on stage, on, under the spotlight all the time. And they don't yeah. realize that actually performance, you need to go backstage. Anyway, that's one of the things I learned there. And from then on, the zigging and the zagging continued. So I, I was a kid, I was born into a Jewish family and they have a thing about, you know, <laughs> having a solid career and making a bit of money. So I had that imprinted on me. Having a profession, maybe. Exactly. What is your job? My mum still doesn't know what my job is. But so I sort of did a twin track thing. I was very arty, the arty boy, and I was in orchestras and singing and so on. But also I, and I went to music college, but then I also went to Cambridge and did work. I did English and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So in my 20s, I was sort of copywriter by day and uh, singer by night so it's kind so of still moonlighting yeah still keep keeping that going yeah and it, some people would say well which bit is the moonlighting bit <laughs> yes yeah yeah because right, they're both quite hard things to do so i started had the great good fortune to write for kubrick for a bit while i was at university wow, as, a, as a writer what a claim to fame i know well it was good luck and, and kindness on his part and, and anya his daughter's part they but I was very interested in, very interested in film, so I did some writing, uh, writing for him. And I had this kind of, sort of broad set of what felt like disconnected skills. And, <laughs> and did that ever worry you? Yes, it really did worry me. I spent a lot of my life, and it's only recently that it started to calm down. And I've begun to see the red thread that holds it all together. But yeah, at times it really did. I'd often feel this isn't me or I should be doing something else. Like I'm doing this but over there is where I should be. So a constant sense of, I'm sort of in the wrong place. Yeah, and I think sometimes, even when we say the word squiggly career to people, you can see a sense of relief. Yeah. That, yeah. It, that it's okay that maybe somebody's not had a traditional career path, yeah. or maybe not done what they expected they might do, or what other people expected yeah. they might do. Yeah. And I, often when people kind of talk to us about it, I, I can see that actually, you, sometimes people just need to feel comfortable yeah with things being more unplanned, being more opportunistic perhaps, and that being okay, and not being like the wrong thing Absolutely. to do. Absolutely, God, it's like you're, you're speaking what my brain is saying. <laughs> I mean, I, I often, when I'm talking to business people, 
this word career is a funny one, right? Because yeah. when you were a kid, career officer, Mr. Payton was on he my career. He usually told you you were going to be, what, a teacher, well, solicitor? Well, that's right, exactly, exactly, exactly. But there was this idea... <laughs> it wasn't that, a long list, was it? Not, not really. But the idea was that a career was sort of like a straight line thing. Yes. But actually, if you look it up in the dictionary, career means to, you know, to cascade down the side of a mountain in an uncontrolled manner. You know, to, to career is to, oh, is, yeah. to, is to sort of tumble in an uncontrolled like way. And, and I think that you're right. Oh, that people's, that. people's shoulders drop when you say, you know, it's a verb, not a noun, right? We're, and, yeah. and this leads us to probably why we're walking the street, because more recently I've been exploring, you know, wandering. Yeah. This notion of, you know, we're out here wandering. We're not going in a prescribed path from A to B. We're having a bit of a wander. And that, I think, looking back, has been a characteristic of my working life. I've been kind of off course a lot of the time, but sort of feeling my way. The Chinese have that wonderful phrase, you know, you cross a river by feeling your way across the stones with bare feet. Okay. So you're not yeah. like plotting, of course, you go, I've basically got an intention, I want to go over there, but I'm going to feel my way by experimentation and f literally feel, use my senses in my body. So the book I've just written has got a lot about embodied intelligence. You know, not just listen to what your head says, but listen to what your body says. Let, you know, be three-dimensional. Find your way through life. Anyway, I'm rabbiting on, but it's exciting to me. I, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and do you topic. think, I think one of the challenges is that lots of us, and me included, love to plan. Love to make a plan, love to have a plan, and it can feel quite overwhelming, quite daunting to think, okay, I can listen to what Sarah and David are saying, I buy into this idea of we're going to have multiple careers. On average, and I think people starting work apparently are going to have like four different types of career. Really, really? Um, which like now I think, well, I'm probably in my second, maybe even third type of career already. Yeah. And I always joke, I've had more jobs and worked in more companies than my dad. Yeah. And I don't think that's that, it's not that unusual. <laughs> yeah. But equally, I don't think you were suggesting to people that you become completely hedonistic and just leave everything to kind of chance as well. And so you talked about that analogy of feeling the stones to find your way. As you've become more comfortable with your career and kind of having all these multiple different kind of threads and strands, what are the kind of ways that you've started to think about your own working life and how you spend your life? Is it much more about just worry about the next stone? in front of you? Is it trying to figure out those consistent threads? What's kind of helped you get that comfortable? Or, or actually, do you love being spontaneous? So it's no big deal for you. Oh, that's such <laughs> a great question. I think it's both. I think you need a plan and you need to be free. I think just crashing about is, mm. isn't super helpful. So, you know, when I'm again talking to businesses, you can see the planners going, oh, don't yeah. take my plan away. But I think you need a plan, but it's not sufficient, right? So it's important to have plan and then to replan and replan. I do a lot of improv on stage and it's a bit like that, which is you have to have a general direction, but then you have to adjust in the second. So yeah, I think it's that's a bit what like we've just done. So we just got to a very busy road yeah. and just stopped because we thought, Do you know what, that's going to be really busy. Yeah. We've just been walking along some lovely gardens. Yeah. It's all right to turn around and yeah. come back the way we've come from. Yeah. And kind of taking that moment and going, that, that's OK. Yeah, and now what a lot of business would do is they would have sent out a squad of people and they would have drawn up PowerPoints and timed <laughs> everything. And it's like there's this great sense of trying to control the future going to control yeah. what's happening and that happens in organizations a lot I mean organizations like to be organized but I think what's happening in the world a friend of mine Jim Garrison puts it beautifully he runs the Wisdom University and he runs Ubiquity he's a wonderful guy and he says things are getting better and better and worse and worse faster and faster 
Yes, yeah. And it, kind of that, like better mm, times, worse times. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing the, it. But, no, yeah. exactly. That's right. This sense that it's not better or worse, it's both. And the velocity of the oscillation between good and bad is not even daily, it's, it's hourly. Now, in that world, you do need a plan and you need to be very responsive to what's going on. So yes. I think it's both. Yeah, I, I think, think this idea of and versus or, yes. from a language perspective, is really interesting. I do think now the, the idea of people going, actually, we talk to people about creating career possibilities rather than plans. We, nice. we, we kind of prefer that language. Nice. And, but kind of going, and be adaptable. Nice. And be open to different opportunities. Yes. You know, some of the best career moves that I've made have been where I have moved out of maybe my area of expertise. Yes maybe where I've gone sideways rather than upwards. Yes. And they feel so brave at the time. And yet when you look back at them now, you think, oh, they're the things where I learned the most. Yes. Because I was taking what I'd got with me and learning something new. And actually one of the pieces of career advice in the back of our book that someone shared with us was this whole idea of like embrace the end, which I, I, it's really stuck with me, mm. is going, you don't have to constantly be trading things off you know this whole like work-life balance thing and the idea of like work on one side and then all the other good stuff on the other it's like it's okay to want a great kind of career and to want to spend some time with your family that's okay this idea of and is okay it's not okay it's essential it's <laughs> yeah. saying because you and I both know people who have sacrificed their life really for their work and I'm often thinking of a lady that who's a friend of a friend of mine she's a very very successful career woman but she's escaped a a near miss in a car crash and it was right. nearly perished. She got out of the car, got out her phone to call somebody to tell them that she was okay and realised there was no one to call. Oh, There's sad. no one that, you know, says, so there's that. And I think what you say, you know, this question of what have I learned as I've gone on about my sort of navigation system, I think what I'm learning is to look back as well because you often learn about yourself about the choices that you made. Uh, you go, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, hang on. So, and I think what's happening, I mean, certainly if you look at the arts, the whole idea of stories, which I, I work a lot with stories and so on, is that the protagonist, the, the you in this, yeah. has all sorts of plans at the beginning of the story, but the purpose of the story is for the protagonist to learn about themselves, learn what they don't know. You know, we yeah. all have our blind spots, and the decision that you made when you were, you know, when you were, 25 and a career opportunity came to you there's something instinctive for you went this is nuts but I'm going for that afterwards you look back and go, oh that taught me about myself about who who I am yeah. so at the age that I'm now you know we talked about the, you know, the different things I've done a red thread has emerged has begun to emerge and if you go back to that initial idea of me being a conductor let me take you back to when I was a kid. My image when I was about six of the thing I wanted to be was a conductor. And the reason I think was because the conductor had a magic wand, had this white <laughs> stick, and that appealed to me. And also I thought I'd get a cape. I thought <laughs> I'd get a cape. And I had this... So really, it's all about the props. You wanted the totally wand, you wanted the, the cozy. <laughs> it's the cozy, right? And then I had this other idea, this, <laughs> that I would fly around the world and I'd walk down this corridor and I'd come out into light and there would be an orchestra there and I would wave my stick and I would conjure music out of them in a kind of semi-magical and semi-musical way. Other kids are dreaming of being a Maradona or a jet fighter pilot, that's what I was doing. Interestingly, many decades on, and I look back, that's kind of what I do. I only realise it's kind of what I do. 
which is I go around the world and I don't use a stick and I don't <laughs> use music, but I work with groups of people all over the world and I sort of conjure conversations out of them, I conjure creativity out of them, and then I get back on a plane and go somewhere else. And so it's as though there's a sort of, I had to learn that by doing it. Yeah. All sorts of so-called wrong turnings. But there's this, I like this idea that the word opportunity, I recently found it means, if you look at it, it means the way to port. Port in the opportunity means a harbour, opportunity, the way to get to the harbour. And I think a nice way of thinking about it is we're all bobbing along. We've got a sense of our, well, I like to think of our essence, our element. You know, you feel great at work when you're in your element, right? Mm -hmm. But no careers officer is going to tell you what your element is. You're going to have to go and experience. Yeah. And, and then you that, find out retrospectively. That point of learning by doing is really underestimated. Yeah. I still think too often learning or development is associated with sitting in a room in a workshop. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong, we do those things. So, yeah. so those <laughs> things are important. But I, I am actually a big fan of those things are only important if they then impact what you then do the next day at work, the next yeah. week at work. Yeah. And actually the majority, I think, of how we learn and where we learn the most is if you can learn like almost and going back to that point about and like learn and do things at the same time so yeah. you, it doesn't mean you just turn up to work every day yeah. and just hope you're going to learn loads of stuff yeah. it actually means kind of active reflection yeah. active learning whilst doing things and combining those two things together and I think that's one of the things that I'm really interested in like how do we create cultures and environments at work where people have the time and space to do that and it not feel like a luxury to stop and pause for a moment and reflect a little bit so tell us a bit about Street Wisdom, about why we are walking the streets and what, it, what Street Wisdom means and why you started it. Yeah, so Street Wisdom, it's a charity. It's actually a, what they call a community interest company. Yeah. But it's basically, it's a non-profit. It's now about five, six years old. And it came, like most things, in an unplanned way, like most good things. I'd been working, a bit like you, I think, in business bit surprised to be doing that but you know I found that my arts background turned out to be quite relevant to businesses that wanted to be doing things more creatively yeah. they wanted to individuals wanted to present themselves more powerfully and generally make working life more sort of more interesting and I've been sort of doing that on and off for the last 20 years or so and part of that I would often take people out of their offices and um, just walk around the streets. I say just walk around the streets. Yeah, but getting out of an office is actually a really hard thing to persuade people to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's partly because, oh, I, you know, I've got to be at the office because that's where the work is. Is it? Yeah. Mm, that's where the phone is. Mm, yeah, not, sure. not anymore. <laughs> not sure, exactly. But the other thing I think is it's where your identity is. And what's yeah. interesting is, interesting to me about the streets is it's the space between our identities, you know, at home, dad, mum, yeah. lover, friend, DIY person, whatever. Work is whatever identity you've got, but you're walking through this neutral area, relatively neutral area. And it struck me as interesting because you can then play with different yous. So for example, I remember one time I, I was working with a, a COO that the business wanted to become a CEO. But the problem with it was that whilst he was very good at operations, he wasn't very interested in people. And therefore, that's tricky for a CEO, right? So they said, can you, can you work with him? And one of the things I remember doing with him was we sat in a cafe. And I said to this guy, who's a real belt and braces engineer, see that guy over there? Draw him. And 
he looked at me like I was completely <laughs> mad. He said, I can't draw. I said, I don't care if you can't draw. Draw as well as you can. Yeah, but I'm no good at this. I said, well, I really don't care. Just draw the guy. Because it was about looking at somebody else and drawing. So he did it very reluctantly. I said, great. That's stage one. Now, go across the cafe and go give it to him. And he looked <gasps> as a gift. I would be really nervous about doing that. It made me think, you know, maybe out here in so-called ordinary life, out here, where customers live, where, where we really yeah. live, might be a good place to you know, explore new types of behavior, explore how you connect with other people, explore new ways of thinking. So I, like most things, you sort of fiddle about, right? Yeah, so I tried a, a bit of this, I had a bit of a play. And over the years, and it took many years, a structure which I call a workshop emerged, which was a simple way of using the streets to be, get inspiration and learn. And it's got three uh, stages. The first stage you tune up your senses, the second stage you go and ask a question and you see what inspiration you get, and the third stage you share what happened with the other people who are doing it with you. Now it sounds simple, and you know, you know what it's like, it's much simple easier to hard. be complicated, right? <laughs> Just taking years to, and once having got it really simple, we gave it away, we put it online, gave it away, and it went berserk really. It's in 41 countries, wow. I think. We've I know had... so many people who've done it and who absolutely rave about it oh, uh, so and the breakthroughs <laughs> that they've had, the thinking that they've had from doing it. So yeah, that's actually how I kind of discovered Street Wisdom was because lots of those advocates that you now have were telling me how brilliant it was and how much they enjoyed it, but also just how much it had helped their thinking, it, often in quite unexpected yeah. ways. So is that, is that kind of what's most rewarding, I guess, seeing the kind of journey that people go on? It is really rewarding, particularly when it's two or three degrees of separation away from you. You know, if you look on Twitter and you discover in Buenos Aires they've done one yeah. and people are getting a kick and, and learning stuff. Because I think when you've been doing what we do with businesses or with, with other people, you know, sort of effectively training, teaching, developing, you get quite good at twisting people's arms to make sure that they have a breakthrough. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when, it's, when you're not there, when you're not there and yeah. you're no, nowhere near there, it's very gratifying to see that this approach really does work and people get a lot from it. They get a huge range of things. You get people who have you know, life-changing experiences. But at the other end of the scale, it's not a small thing that people have permission to wander and, and they, they just reconnect with real life. And it sounds a bit pompous, but I, I remember doing um, a series of street wisdoms with Samsung, with younger people and they're... They were store Talking managers. Talking about younger people, we're about to be approached by yeah, we are. a school of kids, obviously out on a school trip, all with very good red hats on, which I'm very much liking. But, but it's interesting, look at that. They are in a queue, right? They're being taught that the way to get in the street, like you have crocodile. to go in a single file. Right? <laughs> and actually, probably the person who's going to do the probably the interesting stuff in their life is the one that's not obeying. There's one kid off There's one on the kid right. on the left. He's just doing his own thing. You know, Rogue, so, he's, he's, he's being a rebel. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's it. I think when the world squiggles, squiggle. <laughs> I don't know who said that, but someone should have said that. And so if people listening uh, yeah. are thinking, are intrigued by street wisdom, yeah. can, can anyone go and do it? Yeah. How does it work? Well, the way it works is people get intrigued and they look at the website and they discover that Either there's an event going on near them which they yep. can go to, and these the events are all free. It's, it's, we say you don't pay fees, you pay attention. Um, nice. <laughs> and they're, they're run by volunteers around the world, people that fancy doing it. Often these people are, they're people who are interested often in coaching or teaching, but not necessarily. They can just be people that, that 
want to do something different with their friends or with their family or with their colleagues. And they, you download the instructions, you say where you're going to do your street wisdom, it goes up on the site so that other people nearby, whether you're in Bogota or Birmingham, yeah. know that it's happening, and away you go. It's really simple. But as I say, it took a long time to make sure that we were giving people instructions that were you know, clear and simple, but not too simple. Yeah. What kind of questions do people come with? So for some people, and certainly I often talk about being an introvert and meeting new people, turning up to something like street wisdom could feel quite intimidating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely be nervous going to something like that. I'd be thinking, yeah. oh, is everyone going to be smarter than me? Am I meant to know things that perhaps I won't know? What do people need to turn up thinking about or prepare for? Yeah. What kind of questions will people have in mind? There's a, lot, there's a lot of questions bundled into those questions, but I would say that very little. You just need to be a little bit curious. Okay. The, everybody in one way or the other has got a what's next question. What's next yes. to work? What's next in my diet? What's next for my body? What's next for what colour am I going to paint that wall? And it's yeah. essentially, you just need to be thinking a bit about what's next. That's we, a really good way of thinking about it. Yeah, just what's your most important what's next yeah. question? Yeah. And like you say, that, that can be as simple as well, what am I going to do in my lounge next? Absolutely. It feels like it needs a refresh. Absolutely. I think a bit of structure and support around answering those what's next exactly. questions exactly. can be really helpful, which I think, from certainly from my friends who told me about street wisdom, that's what they said it gave them. I'm sure one of my friends said they came working out whether they wanted to move house or not. Yes. So just like a really kind of, totally. they, they couldn't quite figure out whether to stay or go. And that, <laughs> and that, was, their, that was their question. That's a good, you remind me. I was doing one in Chinatown in San Francisco one time, there was a guy friend of mine from Pixar and he was asking exactly that question oh, really? and he was wandering around in the market and suddenly he looked up and this often happens you suddenly see something it makes sense and it said you know in America they call a real estate they call it realty right. and he looked up and it said hang on realty and the guy's was named Mr. Ong hang on oh, but okay. he looked at it and he went that's it <laughs> hang on hang on Don't Don't, move. and he said he decided not to move and <laughs> um, I think you're absolutely right that you get a whole range of people coming to Street Wisdom, from people who have never done anything like it to people who have been like, have got the t-shirt, been to the ashram, the whole thing. And actually it's the people who have done more self-development. I often say to them, chill out, you know, calm down. Uh, That's what you're telling me, isn't it, essentially? No, no, not really. No, no, I think there's a funny, there's a sort of perfectionist in us, right? That, yeah. that says, I am going to do this and I'm going to do it. I'm going to change Probably, my life. I'm do it well. And I really feel like it's good to, re you know, to relax a bit. And it's more to do with turning the world around you, turning the world around you into like your, like your creative playmate. People just often go through the world, head down, heading to the next thing. But actually when you connect with the world around you, it wants to play. And if it's anything, street wisdom is a playful experience. Yeah. What often happens is people come with a question and the question morphs. So they go, there was a woman that came for example, and she said, my question is, I want to find out what the oldest building in this street is. And I said to her, just hang on, you know, this is supposed to be about you. She said, no, no, that's what I want to do. It's like, <laughs> okay. okay, honey, go for it. She went to him and she came back, she was chuckling. I said, well, she said, well, the question changed. I said, tell me. She said, well, I went out looking for the, you know, the, the oldest uh, building in the street, but as it changed into what am I going to do when I retire? Okay. So she was, it that, was, that is quite a big transition. But it was about age and it okay, was about yeah. redundancy and so on and so forth. But it took her a while to stumble around and, and find the question. Very often, the question, people come back with a really good question. And we encourage people to say, look, 
sometimes they look a bit crestfallen, and like, oh, my street wisdom experience is over. And I like to explain to them, look, it's, it's not an expensive technique. And once you've done it once, you can do it anytime. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. In fact, I do street wisdomy type things between, in three minutes in a corridor, in a, in a client. I'll just suddenly I'll switch on that connection with the outside world and get a bit of inspiration. Yeah, I think it's just that allowing yourself to, like you say, not be purposeful all of the time. And there's such a pressure now. I was listening to um, a podcast this morning about the pressure to kind of be productive. Oh, yeah. And this, you know, this idea of we must spend every moment being productive and that productivity tends to equal, yes. you know, very kind of tangible outputs. Yes. I think one of the things that I'm trying to kind of reframe in kind of my own mind, especially having worked in big corporate companies for a long time, is that it is OK to go for a walk. I think it's so much harder when you're in a company and you've got a job and you've got a big long to-do list and you've got a manager and all the pressures of meetings and all that kind of stuff, which is the reality for most people actually having the confidence to stop and pause, to go for a walk, to be a bit less kind of purposeful in a more kind of traditional way, I think does take quite a lot of confidence. Yeah. So definitely I would encourage people to think about, you know, street wisdom, you know, people can turn up with other people. You know, you don't have to do it by yourself. I'm sure people could do it in their own companies once they maybe they had a come and had a go. Yeah, they is do. That, is that they something do. that happens? Absolutely. I can really imagine people doing that. It's a way of reclaiming the lunch hour. So, yeah, so you nice. see people doing that. And That's a good they idea. They can do it by themselves. They can do it with other people. I think you're absolutely right. I go even further and say, you know, the street is the new workplace. So when you leave the office to go out into the street or you leave your, you know, wherever you're, you're, you know, you're working, it's sort of in a weird way, it's not exactly time off. It's another way of working. Your brain is working in a different way. So that, that rest period that you're having is allowing yourself to get creative. If you think about it, Archimedes had his eureka moment, not at the office, but in the bath, remember? Did he? Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, you oh, know, he, he got into the bath yeah. and he saw that the level of the bath rose and it suddenly realised this was about the displacement of materials and it was basically right. solved the problem that he was the king i think he said he's going to cut his head off if he didn't solve the problem so he's there working at the office and then mrs <laughs> archimedes probably runs in bath saying archie you know chill out have uh. a look. And as he slides into the bath with his duck and goes ah oh, bang the, the the thinking happens that was the moment and i think we you know with taylorism and all that stuff and this idea also that which is breaking down now but that work happens in, in an office we've come to this very narrow view of what work is and, mm. and 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 being busy is looking busy very often you know it's like i want yeah. to look busy i appear to be being productive but this word you're right as well the word productivity it's in my book i can't remember but i think it's it's only about 80 years old with it oh, really? and it's it, it's a it's a very it's a very modern concept and as you rightly say it was very much linked to material output it's a very industrial way of thinking about the way we use our time and chunking our time in, in yeah. blocks, all of which have to be. There's almost a moral association as well. If you're being productive, you're more godlike, you're more worthy member of society and so yeah, on and so forth. Yeah, maybe more valuable. And if you think about vagabonds and uh, the word error means to wander. The word vagabond, vaga means to, is to, means to wander. We're very suspicious and very unsettled by wandering and by wanderers. Yes. Because they yeah, seem to confront true. us going, now hang on, I'm, I was told at school I have to go this way. And you get these people, entrepreneurs are like that, right? Yeah. They, they, they sort of wander about and we yearn for it. 
but it frightens us. Mm. So something like street wisdom is like a mini experience, just to reawaken the wonder in us. It's, it's why I call the book Wonderful. Yeah. Because it's, it, it is. The subtitle is, you know, find the wonder in the everyday, every day. Oh, and nice. I, I think that people aren't, I mean, I've had to discover this myself. I'm not a natural wanderer. I'm tall and angular and I tend to go yeah, places fast. you're much taller fast. than me. <laughs> Inside we're the same height, right? But we are, we're doing a good job sauntering here. We are. But it's not my natural state. I had to stumble into it. But it's been really, really helpful to understand that to slow down is also to speed up in a strange way. You slow down to speed up. I think any tempo, you know, as a musician, any tempo gets boring after a while. And what we're doing now is we're just interrupting the pattern and we're going, you know what, let's go slow. It's the ability to choose your tempo, mm. I think is what's important. That's the mindful thing. It's not the tempo you choose, right? Yeah, I don't I think, think slow is better than fast. That's what people are looking fast. for as well, that idea of when we talk about what you can control and what you can't, and yeah. often we spend too much time worrying about things that we can't control. Yeah. I think often one of people's ambitions and aspirations is to feel like they have more control over their own kind of choices. And you mentioned the book, uh, which is called Wonderful. What will people get from the book? Why should, why should they read the book? Well, what I did in the book is I sort of looked back over five or six years of street wisdom and sort of tried also for myself to go for a bit of a wander into, into what's going on. So I, I took little moments of a street wisdom type walk. Like for example, the moment you bump into a stranger <laughs> Which happened to us today. Well, not a stranger, but somebody that we weren't expecting to see. Literally, we got out of the lift ready to go for the walk. Absolutely. And one of my best friends walked into the building. Yeah. And it was like, what were the chances? And I'm now going to have lunch with her. Which is exactly. So, so that, that <laughs> synchronicity. So one chapter is all about that. It's like, what, what is going on? Why do people bump into people that they know unexpectedly? Another one is about how to, how to awaken up your internal guidance system, the sat-nav of your soul, as I put it. So these, these little, these little moments about, very practical, they've all got the exercises and there's little films that come with it, you go on the website. But then interleaved between it is a little, like what we're doing now, I go for walks with people that have been interesting to me and helpful to me on my oh, wow. way. So Charles Handy's one and Ken Robinson is one. And, oh, brilliant. And Susie Walker from Psychology. There's lots of different friends and we just go for a wander and we see what comes of that. And what you find is, that we like to say in street wisdom, answers are everywhere. So when you start asking questions, you start seeing answers everywhere, but also so are teachers. Partly what I think is going on in the book is encouraging us when we're out in the streets to reach out to strangers, have a chat, share as we might have done in the past, share what's on your mind and ask people's opinion. You'd be amazed the wisdom that the casual passerby has for you. I mean, I, you know, and I think if one thing I'm hoping for is that the book encourages people to sort of cross the distance between them and other passers-by in the street. Maybe have a short conversation. Maybe make our cities a bit more lovable. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So we're sitting here now having a lovely coffee in central London under some very nice heaters and the coffee shop is called The Life Goddess and it's delicious. Totally this is one of your regular haunts is that you it brought is. us to. It is. One of the things I've got my eyes and ears always open for is experience because people describe me as an experience engineer. It's a bit, bit wanky but uh, the, <laughs> essentially that's I think a lot of what we are. People value experiences very highly and when you're in the arts you're definitely experience engineering, creating experience for people. But I think people like this cafe do it. Yeah. The minute you go in there, yeah the coffee's yeah, great. Yeah everywhere, lights everywhere. But it everywhere. just feels like, and also the people are great and they're, they love great food and stuff like that. So as much time as I can spend in street cafes, the better. Yeah. And here we are, wrapped up against the cold, having a lovely time. It was my thing for 2020 is every new town or even village or city that I go to, I try and arrive early enough that I can go and discover a local coffee shop because I, I love a coffee or a tea. Yeah, um, and yesterday I was in Taunton and that's, that's what I did. I just sort of wandered in, didn't have a pre-planned destination. I just look around for the one that I think looks interesting. And then funnily enough, the place I went into, which is called Number One Coffee, also support the Samaritans, who my sister works for. So when you talk about all the synchronicity, synchronicity of everything coming together, I'm starting to spot it. So did you use the word just, oh, I just wandered around. Mm, maybe you didn't just wander around. Wandering is, uh, as a friend of mine says, let's get lost and find lunch. That's yeah. another thing about, you know, allowing yourself to feel a little bit lost and discover something rather than always know where you're going. Anyway, that's another yes. whole other <laughs> podcast. So we started the podcast today uh, and I was asking you about who inspired you and you mentioned Charles Handy. Yeah. Let's come back to Charles because some people listening might not know who Charles is so perhaps you can tell us a bit about who he is and why he's been such an inspiration for you. Yeah, Charles would hate would hate to be described as this but I think he's a national treasure. Uh. <laughs> a living national treasure like those wonderful potters in Japan. He's a social philosopher, he's a writer. He was for many years a, I mean he had a very squiggly he was for many years an oil executive and then his wife Liz said I think you've become the most boring man I know <laughs> and, <laughs> asked, and so he thought it was time to change but he's really written some of the seminal books on sort of the philosophy in business so things like the empty raincoat the age of unreason and so on and so forth and he's a he's a commentator and a wise funny soulful man who looks at the world and has this lucid, limpid writing style that makes, he says very simple things, but they stay with you for life. And I met him and Liz early, uh, probably 25 years ago. Liz taught me photography and uh, Charles has taught me everything else. Really. No, he, <laughs> he's, he's, he's the sort of person, he doesn't tell you stuff, he asks you questions. Oh, and those, those questions people, those smart, there. insightful people who I ask you brilliant know. questions. 
if anyone wants a really, really powerful and simple read, he's just written a book called 21 Letters, and it was really 21 letters to his grandkids about life. And he's also got a wonderful concept, which is the second curve. He taught, and he's written a book called Second Curve, in which basically, you know, we, we go through a period of life, we go through a stage of our career, and you get to the point where you go like, mm, this is good, but I'm like, what's next? And he calls that the second curve. And how do you get from one curve and get enough momentum to leap onto the second and third and fourth curve? So the second curve is beautiful, but really worth, really worth looking at. And from your, you've known him for a long time. Yeah. What's, what would be the one thing that you feel like he has really taught you or the thing that has really stuck with you that you find has been useful in all the different things that you've then gone on to do? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had learned to ask questions rather than just blather, but I haven't done that. The thing about him and, and Liz, who died sadly last year, but great life, actually some very practical things. When I met them, I had a much bigger company and I was doing lots of variety of things. And they, they gently encouraged me by demonstrating it themselves, what it looked like to have a life that was livable and purposeful. So, so he would for six months of the year, she would support his life as a speaker and thinker. For six months of the year, he would carry her photography bag. And they had this very, oh, nice. this, their life work balance was amazing. And by being around Charles, I think I've learned a lot about how to simplify and be honest with myself about what I'm really doing, what I do need to do, what I don't need to do. And for that, I think it's been an incredibly uh, practical, but ultimately had a big impact on my professional life and my life in general. So it sounds like he's been a real role model for yeah, you role model. and actually being able to sometimes you need to see it to believe that that's possible yeah. are kind of mentors and role models something that you've proactively looked for in your career or is it more that they've come to you or you've happened across them is it something you've been in intentional about or not really with hindsight i guess you could say but my experience is i don't think i was intentional but what i do have is i do have a real appetite for what seems exciting new stuff. I think if I've got one quality that is really helpful is I do, I, I, I do like to be a beginner. I've got that kind of, oh, this is great. I'm going to start, you know, like I'm starting conducting and I definitely feel like a beginner there. And I think so when I meet people like Charles or there's a wonderful director we work with in my opera company called David Glass. I just, when you meet someone like David, who's a, like a treasure trove of theatre, theatre knowledge and technique. I just like, like a mosquito, I stick my proboscis in there and, and suck hard. So I've learned a huge amount from him. I think one of the earliest influences on me uh, is my dad, Bernie, Bernard Pearl. And I only realised this sort of recently, of course your parents affect you in, in many ways, both my parents have. But I think the thing that my dad was a model of, which I hadn't realised till recently was unusual, was he, he had two careers at once. So he was a dentist and a barrister side by side, which at the time was really, really... I mean, really, that's got really, to be an unusual unusual combination. Totally. And, and How did he do that? With difficulty. Three days of the week, he did oh, right, one or okay. three days a week. He did, and he didn't do it for the whole of his life. But he was somebody who started out as a scientist and he was a, you know, came from very humble beginnings. He was a dentist. But he was always studying. He studied history and philosophy and so on. And then he, and then he uh, fell in love with the law. And, and actually, as a hobby, really, he studied the law. He didn't intend to be a barrister. But once he passed the exam, he suddenly thought, you know what, I quite like this. I'm going to do this. So he kind of stumbled into it, a bit like you were describing yeah. the work you do. So, oh, I actually like this. And so he was a dentist and a barrister. Then he became a coroner. Then he led a chambers. And he was a, effectively a judge. And then he was really an 
artist. He, he fell in love with drawing and he would draw and draw and draw the whole time. So I think having someone like that around me, I sort Sounds of... like a real polymath. He was a polymath and I, I wouldn't have described it that way when he was alive, but looking back now, I realise he was an example of somebody who was advancing on all fronts. It was and, yeah, and, and. Yeah. Um, and he didn't have any issue with that, whereas other people said, well, are you a dentist or a barrister? And he was like, well, I'm both. Both, yeah. So I think that's, that had a real effect on me. I thought that that was normal. I only now realise <laughs> yeah. it isn't normal. Um, so we talked a bit earlier about, you know, this kind of paradox of people wanting to feel like they're planning, but you've got to keep some flexibility and, and feel a bit more comfortable with ambiguity. Yeah. When you now think about the next five, ten years of mm. what you might be spending your time doing, mm. How do you start even thinking about that? Or do you not? Do you think more short term? How, how do you think about your career now when you, when you do think about kind of your what next questions, I guess? So what do I think? I think one principle that I've got is I'm more inclined now to step back and have a look at this funny, angular, spiky-haired bloke and go, what's he for? Rather than what do I want to do? Well, of course, that's important, but I'm more like... What would you use him for? And I, I look at myself a bit more objectively and think, where can I create the most value? And I think that's important. I also think that selfishly, working with lovely people and peers and learning from people and stuff is something that's very important to me. I feel like I'm sort of in, in the zone, sort of after many decades of going, oh, I get how it fits together. I think my red thread is about what I describe as the magic of the everyday. You know, I started life, if you like, on the stage at Covent Garden. It's very, very heightened, very artificial. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, that's where I learned, for me, that in the music, in the emotion, is something very real, really realer than what you see out here on the street, if you like. So for me, I'm always looking for the magic that's in the everyday. I spend a lot of time in very ordinary circumstances, and I feel that that's... I don't think I decided that, but I think I'm being nudged that way. So I think that street wisdom is a lovely surprise gift that life has given me and it means that I think the next five ten years I'll be doing more non-profit work and exploring this this public realm it's not business it's not the arts it's somewhere in the middle we're at the beginning of 2020 and I'm I'm optimistic with fears like <laughs> Madeleine Albright and I think that I think that people like us who've had the good luck to be developing skills to work with executives and others. I think there's a, going to be a broader calling for our work. I think we're in for chaotic times, times of big change. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but I think probably I'll be finding ways of applying what I know to offering it anyway to perhaps to government and to perhaps to civil society and so on, doing a little bit more societal work. And I think joy is a funny old thing. Uh, <laughs> I used to think, well, Oh, these people sitting around, you know, cross-legged in their tie-dye, talking about having a joyful life, you know, get, you know go, go and suffer a bit. But I do think, <laughs> I do think you're not going to help unhappy people if you join them. So in a way, there's, there's something for me about sustaining my energy and my, you know, my physique and you know, my body just so I can remain available, remain supple, remain, you know, mobile and remain relevant and helpful. And we always ask this question when we kind of finish our interviews with people, but for all of our listeners, what piece of career advice would you give to people now? So it doesn't matter what stage, we have people listening who are uh, potentially even retiring. So, you know, and people at the start of their career, so a really wide range of listeners all over the world. Yeah. What is your one piece of career advice? So I think about this with my kids, Elsa and, and Zachary, and I, 
it's going to sound incredibly obvious, but given the twists and turns that lie ahead, is let yourself fall in love with something because you're going to need energy. And don't be beguiled by people that are doing stuff that you can do because sometimes, oh, I can do it, so I will do it. Helpful to do that, but that follow the itch, follow the flirt, follow the thing that it's just at the edge of your awareness because that is, I think, your nature speaking back to you. And I think, I don't think there is a job for somebody. You can do many different jobs, but if you know what's in your nature, you can apply that to any job. You can run a laundry or a, you know, a cake shop with that kind of, if you know your why, as it were, if you know, your, if, if you know what's in your essence. But you're not going to know it, by, as we've said, by going to a career advisor or listening even to a podcast it's by trying tripping over standing up wandering stumbling feeling your way across the stones really inspiring to hear that and I think for lots of people reassuring to feel like you don't need to know the answers right now and you can kind of learn learn as you go so David thank you so much for talking to us today it's been brilliant to hear your squiggly career story <laughs> thank you for having me let's squiggle our way through 2020 let's <laughs>